Welcome to the Jesus Said Love podcast. This is a space where we talk about what it means to awaken hope and empower change. Listen, for over a decade, Em and I have been fostering relationships with men and women who've been impacted by the commercial sex industry. And it's through those relationships that Jesus Said Love was born. We figured it was time to talk about what this ministry has taught us and is still teaching us along the way. I promise it's gonna be a place of conversation and story. And we hope you learn something new. Maybe you see something in a new way. Fun fact, you're gonna hear music because Brett and I are musicians. Yep. We can't just talk, nope. we gotta sing and play too. We do. Here's the deal guys. Our hope is that as you hear these stories, that you'll tap into your own story and that you'll be encouraged to live and love well like Jesus. Well, hey, welcome back to the Jesus Said Love Podcast, Woo-hoo. episode two. That's right. Season one. That's right. You think it's going to make it to Netflix? No, haven't seen a podcast make it to Netflix yet. Fair point. <laughs> so the last episode, we kind of introduced ourselves and, you know, told you guys a little bit about who we were and kind of our journey. Today, we want to talk about Jesus Said Love. Yeah, what who is are it? we? Who are we? What do we do? Why are we here? Uh, so I'll just jump right in. Jesus said love is a nonprofit organization that reaches those who've been impacted by the commercial sex industry to awaken hope and empower change. And we do this by going, loving, and connecting, go love, connect. That's our three part model. So what that looks like, we started, you know, episode one, talking about the beginning of going into clubs and doing outreaches. And so when we began going consistently in 2007, we suddenly in 2009 began to get all these inquiries on Facebook because Facebook was all new back in 2007. And as soon as we put like a fan page up on Facebook, we got all these requests to start expanding outreaches in other cities. That was never the goal. That was not in the business plan. It wasn't in the dream. We yeah. were just here in Waco, and right. people were like, can we bring this to our city? And we were like, no, 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 you can't. Yeah. And then we began to pray, and God said, I think Why it's not? time. Let's try it. Yeah. So in 2009, we launched uh, Dallas, and shortly thereafter, we launched Bryan College, College Station, Station. San, Antonio, San Antonio, and now we are in, oh, and then Colleen. Temple Colleen, then Houston. And then Houston. And now... now Tyler. T-Town. Yeah. So, which is my hometown. I'm originally from Tyler. So outreaches is, is certainly where we began, but it is not, uh, solely where we're at anymore. And so what's interesting about this and about this issue is that over the last 10 years, um, people are talking about the issue of, sex exploitation, of human trafficking. There are so many incredible agencies doing so much great work. Um, And even outreaches to clubs have increased exponentially across America. Uh, I know in 2007, uh, my friend Harmony in LA, who is the founder and survivor leader of Treasures, she was the one who sent us like one of their first training manuals that we could go through. There was hardly anyone at that time really doing this work in uh, clubs. But over the years, I mean, outreaches kind of began to become inundated. And, you know, there was just so many people eager to work in this arena 
that we saw one glaring problem. We saw a few glaring problems, uh, which is brings us up to date as far as where we are now. So one of the gaps that we saw was that, okay, you can, you can make relationships and you can bring all the gift bags you want, but that's not what Jesus did. He didn't just bring a gift bag and say, see you later. And we're talking about when we walked into the club and one woman, you have, you are touching on every aspect of poverty in some, in some cases, transportation issues, lack of education, criminal history, um, addiction issues, mental health issues, um, single motherhood. And so we're looking at a lot of broken systems now that a gift bag full of supplies of shampoo and conditioner ain't touching it. Okay. Let me stop you right there. Let's assume that someone has no idea what we mean when we say commercial sex industry. Okay. What is the commercial sex industry, Emily? Thank you. So the commercial sex industry is anywhere that sex is for sale. So that can mean pornography, that can mean a strip club, massage parlor, online escorting, and include uh, human sex trafficking. Is there a difference between an escort and a prostitute? Sometimes. What would that be? Well, prostitution is where a woman sells a sexual service. An escort sometimes means that they are simply going on dates and that they don't necessarily give sexual services, but surely the commercial sex aspect of it, it can lead to there. I had one woman tell me that she knew that if she continued doing escorting, that the rule on the street was that by the fifth time, there had to be some sexual favor exchanged. So she could go with a consistent client up to four times. But if she answered the ad on the fifth one, the, the, the rule was she had to perform. Is it always money exchange in the commercial sex industry? Well, commercial means there's a commercial. So it doesn't always mean money. It could mean drugs. Yeah. So, you know, where there's prostitution, um, sexual services in exchange for a drug, um, housing. Yeah. So we have a lot of women who, um, you know, I think of the story of one woman who was pursued online from the Midwest. She got down to Waco. The boyfriend drops her off at, at a strip club and says, hey, well, if you want to stay with me, I paid for your airfare. You can't get back home because you don't have any money. So if you're going to live with me, you're going to work here at the strip club. Yeah. That's trafficking right there. You know, so <clears throat> excuse me, outreach. Yeah. What is an outreach? When we say outreach, what did we do? What does that look like? Get, just take us to that whole concept of outreach. Yeah, so outreach really began with a desire to know who are people in the commercial sex industry? What are their stories? Uh, how can we engage them in a way that's kind and loving and build trust and relationship? So it was love without, you know, strings attached, without ev- evangelizing in the sense of like what's typical. I mean, my upbringing of Southern Baptist was like you handed a track and you shared the Roman road and none of that. We didn't do that. We went and said this meal, this gift is the gospel. This is embodied Christ to you, uh, the hope that's within you. And so... So that's how we um, did outreaches. Would there be times to pray in the club? Absolutely. Um, Were there times when it wasn't appropriate or didn't seem to fit? Absolutely. Using the Spirit's guidance, you know, we were very conscious of of the fact that we were invited into their space. Mm -hmm. This wasn't our space to inhabit. This was their space. And so... We really tried to be mindful um, of that and still are in the cities that we're doing outreaches in. 
Um, what about the clients? Do, do we engage clients? We, we made the choice not to unless they engaged us. So there would on occasion be questions from clients. Who are you guys? Why are you wearing, you know, shirts? Why are you here? Why are you bringing gifts? Like, what's this all about? And so in, in those cases, we, we weren't rude. I mean, we would answer. But um, certainly our promise to the business owners and management is that we would not um, try to, to get clients out of there. Um, that we would simply be there to be of service to the women. And the one question we get probably more than most is the management was cool with us coming in. Yeah. So the management was, they were a little bit like, why are, why do you want to come in? You know, in the early days it was like, why? Like, why do you, is this cost to something? Do these gift back gift bags cost anything? And we're like, no, it's free. And, um, and, and really our, our statement was we believe that a lot of people in the sex industry have been forgotten and have been judged and unfairly, you know, accused as being bad people. And we're here to repair that. Um, and we, we want to bring who God is into this space and just love without any strings attached. And they were kind of skeptical, I mean, in the very beginning, but I think just after breaking bread together and conversations and just getting to know their lives, that, that changed everything. You know, what, the, the very first outreach we ever went on, I'll, I'll never forget this story. We were in the parking lot. You guys had gar, gone in, mm-hmm. and I'm in the parking lot, and the manager came walking out towards me kind of with this perplexed look, and I, I thought for a minute, is he, like, going to fight me? Yeah. I mean, he had, he, he, he's looking intense, and I'm like, I'm an eight. I can take him. Uh-uh. Um, and he's pointing back to the door as he's walking towards me, and he, he finally gets to me, and he says, well, what are they doing? And I said, well, they came and asked permission yesterday if they could come. And you said, yes. And he said, well, I didn't think you would come back. And I said, well, we're going to come back as long as you'll let us. And uh, he said, this is just mind blowing to me. And I said, why? And he said, well, just a couple of months ago, we had a church bus full of people show up at the club. They didn't ask permission. They got out of the church van circled the building, Mm. put their hands on the building, prayed that the demons would go away, Mm. got back on the bus and left. Mm. And he said, that seems wrong to me. Is that wrong? And I said, absolutely, that's wrong. Mm. That is not the gospel. Mm. Um, The gospel is about connection. Mm -hmm. The gospel is about meeting people where they're at. Mm -hmm. And that's not who we are. And we're here to serve you and to help meet your needs. Yeah. So I just remember in those early days, yeah, so many misconceptions on both sides. You know, it felt like for me to know the women, it was dispelling so many myths about who they were and who the sex, what the sex industry was about. And on my part, it was like, I got to dispel some of these myths of what the Christians looked like and how the Christians thought. And so that absolutely is a part of outreach is just engagement. So sometimes it would mean we're straightening hair together. And sometimes it would mean, you know, we, we would sometimes bring in a makeup artist and they would do like smoky eyes or, you know, just, um, nail polish, um, healthcare items. We would supply tampons and, 
you know, things that the club sometimes would charge them if they needed Advil, um, think band-aids, things like that, that we could restock kind of the bathroom dressing area so that they could have. So going back to what you just said about, you know, there, there were, there were myths that we were believing about them, but there perhaps were myths that were believing about us and church people. Um, do you mind telling that story, that very first story? Um, which one? The one where the entertainer uh, was pretty combative towards you and why are you here? And then she left and then she came back. You remember that story? Remember yeah. That? Right. I mean, do you want to tell that story? It's a little bit explicit. Do we have to put explicit on the on the podcast? I, I don't know. I just, I think it's a glimpse into this world. And, and I think it, I just love this story because I think for you, I just love the way you handled it. Yeah. Um, so it was a moment where we went in and there was one particular dancer who was there who was very opposed to anything religious. She, the management had warned me about her and said, you know, you, you can be here, but she's working tonight and she's pretty aggressive when it comes to religious people. And I was like, Oh, okay. And, and I said, well, I don't, I don't have to talk to her if she doesn't want to talk to me. She goes, no, I just want to warn you. I think she'll be fine, but I just want to warn you. So, you know, our shirts that have the name of Jesus on them, um, she saw and she came up to me and she was like, oh, Jesus, Jesus. And I said, yes. And she said, do you want to know what I think about God and what I think about Jesus? Jesus can go suck my you know what? And I was like, oh, really? Do you have one? <laughs> because you could have fooled me. Like, that's the best trans job I've ever seen. I mean, wow. you you look, I would have never guessed. And she just got the biggest kind of, she was way put off because somebody with Jesus just, was able to kind of meet her, I guess, in that conversation. So she, she, she goes, Ugh, and she leaves, and then she comes back, and she's like, "You're still here, aren't you?" And I was like, "I am." And I said, "I'm gonna, I'm, bra- I'm coming back every month. Actually, this is your management. I said we can come back every month, but I mean, we don't have to talk or anything. But, but I am gonna be here every month." And she was like, "Well, can I at least sit down and smoke a cigarette with you?" And I was like, "Totally." And I was like. Tell me why you hate God. And she just went into a litany. You know, she'd lost her brother. She'd lost her family. Um, and she was very, very intelligent. She she couldn't rationalize really the science behind there being this God that people, quote, used as a crutch and things like that. And so it just began a great journey with us to talk about things of faith and, and things of science and um, kind of where some of her resistance was. But she is still one of our supporters. She comes to our fundraiser. She brings other family members or women who've been impacted by the industry through our doors. Um, she is smart and beautiful and um, just, you know, life has not been fair. And And I'm not at all one to say, well, just do these five steps and you're like, you know, follow Jesus and your life's going to be better. That's just not who Jesus said love is. What I love about that is I think your response to her in that one moment, you could have gone one of two ways. You could have gone the fear route or the offended route, Mm. which is probably what she wanted you to do. 
Yeah. So that you could go ahead and explain that myth and make it reality. Yeah. But you didn't do that. You chose the Jesus way, which was to just confront it right there. Yeah. And that brought her into connection with you. Yeah. That then began a beautiful journey mm-hmm. for years. And she is. Yeah. She's a fantastic champion of JSL. Yeah. And I, I just, I, I think... I think that's one of those learning lessons that we've learned along the way is, yeah. is that, you know, we've been taught, you know, ministering and evangelism has to be ABC. Yeah. Well, the Jesus way doesn't necessarily fall into a system. Right. It, because people don't fall into systems. Yeah. They're people. Right. So, so yes. So Jesus said love. Absolutely. Those early years, as we talked about in the first podcast, were just super formative, super, super formative times um, for us and, and still in many of our cities provide connection. But one of the things that along the way that we began to discover was that there was an oversaturation of people really coming into the clubs. And um, what we began to realize was that it is a waste of resources and it's really poor stewardship to overlap services. If there is a need that women are telling us, hey, we have enough shampoo and conditioner here. We have enough, like, we're glad you're coming in every month, but like, can you get us a job? (laughs) I mean, this is great, but actually I don't even want to still be here. And so if all you're doing is coming here, but you're not helping me get to where I want to be, I mean, it really just became one of those things that was like, man, wouldn't a friend, wouldn't a real friend like want to, like a Jesus friend, wouldn't a Jesus friend want to also um, advocate and walk alongside transitioning out of the industry? And so we began to really look at ways that and listen and um, and loosely survey kind of the women of like, well, what, what does that look like? So for 15 years, we ran this ministry out of our home. We had a little back house. You know, sometimes women would come and stay with us. Sometimes we would babysit pit bull dogs that they mm, couldn't find cool. shelter for. Yeah. Um, you know, just lots of things like that. And then as uh, two years or three years ago, we had a donor step forward and say, I want to buy you guys a building. It was a 4,400-square-foot building. It's on 15th and Columbus. It's where we are today, and it's this incredible space. But he said, you guys are going to have to you know, uh, fundraise for the renovation of it and really dream about what we want this space to be. So we had about 30 women that we had connections with who were in the sex industry currently or had been previously, and we gathered them together in the building that was just donated to us with construction and walls torn out and studs still hanging everywhere or still bare studs up and... We said, what do you want? Like, what do you need this space to be? Because we want to build a space around your dreams, your hopes, your desires, where you want to go. What do your friends need? What do women still in the industry need? And unequivocally, they said, we need jobs. We can live with somebody, but if we don't have a job to then, you know, pay for our childcare and pay for um, our future rent, you know, if we don't have a job, we're going to be living with somebody forever. Or if you provide a house for us, if we, if we have a house and, and JSL does a home, but we don't have a, a job. I mean, eventually the goal is that they have employment that they love, that they're passionate about, that, you know, they're, they're, it's that upward economic mobility mm-hmm. because this issue is tied to poverty-related issues for women. And so... 
That's why it made sense to us for Jesus said love to become that gap, fill that gap space between where women were in the industry and where they wanted to be. And so on part of our building, we have devoted to our program side. So that's the Jesus said love side. And that is the space where we have case management. We have um, the access program. So we developed an eight week holistic training program for women who were transitioning from the industry to gain self-sufficiency, to gain access to influence in the community. And so, um, We are just, what's so different about this is that unlike kind of Christian Women's Job Corps that is a developmental program, a job training program, we offer a livable wage stipend that the women can earn while they go through the program. So we're not saying, hey, leave the industry and after you've done your 28-day detox and rehab, you know, just come here for eight weeks. No, they still have kids to feed. They they still have things to save for. They still have, you know, um, they're trying to get a car. And trying to get a house, whatever it is, they're rebuilding their lives. And so we we really wanted to pay them a livable wage stipend. It's an intense program, but it's incredible. Um, and then the other thing, once they go through um, that program, they can apply for Access 2, which is a microloan through Lovely Enterprises. So on the other side of the building, there's Lovely. And Lovely is our social enterprise. That's where we sell ethically sourced and fair trade items. So awareness apparel, things that we make, scrubs, um, Um, candles. Everything is either handmade or made ethically. And so we're actually partnering with other curated kind of fair trade, ethically sourced uh, style brands that we can bring into that space. And it provides women with an opportunity to gain some retail experience, but then they can also, it funds the ministry. The more products we sell, the more women we can help um, because it's a program of Jesus said love. Um, Lovely Enterprises also, I said, gives microloans. I don't know if I said that, but Lovely Enterprises gives microloans to women who are wanting to start their own business. Mm. So once they come through Access 1, they can apply for Access 2. And Access 2 is an entrepreneurial track where women go through a lot of business coaching, a lot of branding coaching, financial help, and they can apply for a $5,000 seed money to start their own business. Um, And to date, we have three women. Uh, we have two women who've earned microloans, and we have two more women who are going through the program right now. So it's just incredible. It's incredible. It's like a studio storefront. Long way from the days of just outreach. Yeah. And so we're still holding these stories. We're still, as we go through all these things, but the approach is that we are we're filling gaps in services that aren't available in our community and weren't available to us right here. And then the third thing, and I think that you can speak to real briefly, is just, you know, the commercial sex industry. So we've got the, we've been working on the supply side for 15 years. And just the past two years, we, re- we realized if we don't tackle demand, we're going to continue having a supply issue. Yeah. So I... The first thing I love about this whole thing as you're talking is none of this was in a business plan. Right. This was all, all of these programs have come about out of specific need to the people that God called us to, right? Yeah, so right. the women help develop access. Yeah. Um, because that's what they need. And they help develop Lovely. I mean, right. Lovely started out as just an online t-shirt store to, right. to just make a little bit of money. Yeah. And now it's grown into this living entity that is yeah. serving and it's going to grow more that we don't even know about. And right. that's what I love about it. And so... 
you know, the fact that we're looking at the commercial sex industry. I mean, it is an industry, right? It's a $3.6 billion. And that's what we know. That's what we know of. I mean, good night. But, you know, for data's sake, it's a $3.6 billion industry. I mean, so, so it's an economic force, which means it has a supply and it has a demand. We have been working in the supply side, but how are we totally affecting the commercial sex industry if all we do is hang out on supply? And because so, women are selling, again, this is related to poverty, women yeah. are selling because they can, because they don't have other means or they've gotten trapped in this cycle or they've been groomed for it through sexual abuse and sexual assault, but they're selling themselves because it's going to make Money. Right. And it's going to make money because there is a demand for it. Yes. And who is buying? What we know right now. What now, research know, could change, right? Research sure, could change. As, sure. As but as learning. of now, what we know is it's white, college-educated males right. who are buying sex. Yeah. And, I mean, two years ago, we were presented with an opportunity. Um, what we found out was that Waco, Texas years ago had a John school. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to be honest, I heard about it at Baylor and I thought the John school was people came here to learn how to be a John. Right. Did like, you know there's well, a thing? Okay. Cause John, let's define, let's just definitions. John is someone who buys sex. Right. The nameless male. So when you hear John school, you're like, is this a school for Johns for right. people to know how to how buy do I sex? be a John? Because let's be honest, a lot of listeners may not know this. There's actually code words yeah. for services right. and for exchanges. It's not like you just drive down the street and pick up the girl in the tall boots and the little skirt. Pretty Doesn't woman. Happen. Pretty woman. It doesn't happen myth. that way anymore. It's all text-based and ad-based. And so everything's done in these code words. And so I thought that's what they did. But that, is, in fact, is not what that was about. It was about Johns who got arrested would have to go through an education program as part of their sentencing. And so Waco had the very first one in Texas. Okay. And it was, it was led through the Waco Police Department. Okay. Several years ago, a uh, new police chief came in, some legislation changed in Austin, and their budget got cut. Mm-hmm. And so the program went away. And it was pretty successful. I think they had about 135 guys go through it, uh, like a 30% or maybe even less than that recidivism rate. Okay. They really saw a reduction. So we are a part of this group called the hum- Heart, Heart of Texas, Texas Human Trafficking Coalition. That's it's right. like this massive force in Central Texas, 140 some odd people from all kinds of agencies, faith-based, social services, everything. And so one of their objectives was to reinstate the John School. Mm-hmm. And they said, we want to do it through an NGO, mm-hmm. not through a government source. And so we've considered it and we said, well, that kind of fits with where we're thinking right now. You I, know? Think, I think the way it actually worked was like, I signed us up for it. I said, yes. Well, yeah, I'm just trying to make it sound better <laughs> in my own mind because sometimes you just do that. You are all gas and I sometimes can put a break, but that's why we work well together, the <laughs> one and the eight. But in this sense, you did sign us up and it was amazing. And now you're running it. So and now I... I'm doing it. So I see how that works. You sign us up and then I'm the one that's to take it to the next it wasn't the plan to begin with because <sighs> the police officer was willing and did for the first few uh, months or year. The first year, yeah. She she ran it and she let it, it, and you observed. Yep. So yeah. we took it on. We changed the name. Yeah. Uh, it was John School, and we kind of thought, well, that's boring. So we decided well, to Well, it's call also it- not gender neutral because it doesn't... 
I mean, well, it's we're, just, we're dealing with gender issues too. So. We are, we are, but there could be women sure. who, who get arrested and take the school. And really it was about a bigger issue of demand. It was about demand, the buying yeah. of sex and, and, and it's harm and trauma on, on people. Individuals. So we decided to call it stop demand school. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and, and the detective who did bring it to Waco in the original state did sign on Detective Anita Johnson. She was a big help. It was really great to, to watch her work. Is she and detective see or officer? She's detective. Okay. She's a big it. dog. So the very first class we had, we had three offenders. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to be honest, going back to that fear thing, I had never been around anyone who had bought sex. Okay. That that was open at least about that it. I knew about it. That's how she, I mean. What I've come to learn now is a lot of people. Uh, no, I'm on to a lot of you. Um, and so it was interesting to sit in the room, to sit in the back, and to hear her facilitate, but to hear some of their stories yeah. and to hear their whys. Right. And I was blown away. It wasn't just because they're scumbags. Yeah. You know, we just right. instinctively, oh, they're just scumbags. Right. Well, no, there's a reason they did what they did, just mm-hmm. like there's a reason the woman mm-hmm. put her ad out there to sell her body. Mm-hmm. And so um, once Anita came to me and said, I don't think I can do this anymore, I realized there's some there's some new things we can add to the content of this class. Mm-hmm. One of our promises, we, we spent two years just trying to get buy-in from the judges and the DA and the people with power that were yeah. going to make people take the class. And once we got the buy-in, then it was build the content. And so now we have this incredible, intense class. It is an intervention awareness program. So that when the men come in, they come in because they have to take it. Okay. So they're arrested. They're arrested. And then what happens after that? Their so probation officer, they're arrested, judge. their car's towed, they bond out, they get sentenced. They usually, if it's your first time offense, they usually go through a program that we have here in McLennan County. I know a lot of counties have different kinds of things called pretrial diversion. Uh-huh. So it's basically, this is your first time. Okay. So we're going to give you some steps. All right. So, so they, we're one of the steps, right? right? So now they're on parole or probation because it's a class B misdemeanor. They're on probation, and, and they have to do A, B, and C, and we're a part of that list. So they have to come take our class. Most of them wait till the very last minute, which they should never so do. So they sign up, but what do they do? They pay. They sign up. They're required to pay. How much 525 is it? $525. Bucks. Where does that money go? That money, 100% goes back to programs, access. Of Jesus Said Love. Outreach. So no money goes to our city. Just no. want to be real clear. No. This is not government-funded, government. This the city does not, doesn't get kickback. The city back. doesn't get it. The county doesn't get it. All of the funds go to the women and the programs. Yeah, of Jesus Said Love. So then what? So they take this class. It's so on a Tuesday. It's, on it's on a eight Tuesday. hours. Yeah. it's. I mean, think of it as defensive driving, but just involving the commercial sex industry. The deal is, though... Our goal is that they walk away kind of with this awareness of what was I a part of? Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, we have some guys, this is the first time they got caught. Yeah. It's not the first time they've ever done it. Yeah. Then we have some guys, it's the very first time they ever answered an ad and they got caught. Right. And so what we're seeing is they had no idea. They had no idea that these women are in poverty. They right. have no idea of the addiction issues. Right. They have no idea of human trafficking. Yeah. They, many, and this blew my mind, many have no idea of sexually transmitted diseases. Right. We do a whole 45-minute segment on STDs with full-blown pictures, and we do it right before lunch, so it's intentional. Mm. And when they go to lunch, they Yum. have to think about <laughs> a penis with syphilis because right. given that decision they were going to make, mm. that might have been them. Sure. 
And, and they walk out with this, holy crap, what was I about to do? Yeah. Now, I'll say this. I mean, I, we have, we've had everybody. I think when I first started, I thought this was just going to be um, a, a certain profile of a guy. Mm-hmm. And I will say this. We have had every person from every sector of social mm-hmm. status. economic yeah. status. Yeah. And I'll never forget this one guy, very well-dressed, kind of hung around around the lunch break. Mm-hmm. I said, what's your story? He goes, I'm a doctor mm-hmm. at a, a, at a big hospital in town and, um, I'm triple board certified. I have all the money in the world. My wife is a doctor. My kids are, do- I mean, it's just, mm-hmm. everybody's a doctor in his family. Right. And I said, so why are you here in this class? And he said, because I have a raging porn addiction mm-hmm. and my porn addiction took me to my wife mm-hmm. to then ask her to do things that mm-hmm. then began to get so, Mm-hmm. Awkward. It made her uncomfortable, and she mm-hmm. didn't want to do the things I was watching. Mm-hmm. And so then I decided, well, maybe I can do them with someone I don't know, mm-hmm. and it's purely transactional. Yeah. And so his porn addiction took him to the Delta Motel, sure. yeah. where he was then arrested. And thankfully, this guy realized, I need help, and he's getting help, and so there's a yeah. sexual addiction component. But I think that introduced to us the harmfulness of porn yeah. and how it's not just art. It, you know, That's one of the arguments. Like, What's well, an art form? Right. No, it's not. Yeah, or that somehow or, if it's consensual. Or it's two consenting adults yeah, or this. Right. Or, you know, that's one of the things we hear with the massage parlors, you right. know, with the happy ending. It's like you get a massage, then you flip over yeah. and you get the happy ending from a foreign person who's there. Right. And it's, it's consenting adults. Well, if they don't speak the language, how is it consenting? Right. Right? And so we talk about these issues. Yeah. So the very first session we do in Stop Demand is what's your story? Why are you here? And I go around and I make them say, why are you here? And it's, you can't say because you got arrested. Yeah. It's what was going, and I'll ask them follow up. What were you doing? Mm -hmm. And so I've heard numerous, countless stories of why people do what they do, which is why today I have a space of empathy for these men. Right. Even though some of them are very difficult. Yeah. Um, it, it's just been a game changer for what we're doing. And I think that, you know, at the end of the day, like the, the vision for Stop Demand School is Stop Demand, Restore Lives. And that doesn't just mean restore lives to the money goes toward the victims of sex exploitation that we serve, but it's restoring lives to men or buyers in the community because we do want their lives restored. Um, there's a restorative justice component to it. We have victims who speak and who share their own story toward the, those who've offended and bought. And so that's really a powerful transaction. So all that to say with with encompassing all that Jesus said love does, because we'll break down each three of these components and have more conversation around them. But for the sake of time, um, we've come a long way. We've come a long way. I mean, we're not, we're not just outreach based. We are doing, um, really work that is a little more transformational. I think one of the last things that was really important for us to realize is that outreach really began to be like a triage and ER work and no one gains full transformation in the ER. No one, that's not your primary care physician. That's not your physical therapist. That's not your counselor. And so what we recognized was that ER work could be happening round the clock for years within our ministry, but is that what we were called to do? And so we decided, no, we want to be best stewards of our time and resources, and we want to fill in the gaps in services where we can with the tools that we have. Um, And so that's why Access Lovely and Stop Demand are three really incredible kind of fruitful places where we see life happening, we see transformation happening. Um, So in a nutshell... Question before you nutshell this. Okay. 
are these other programs in our other cities? So the hope is that these cities would be replicable. Sorry, these programs would be replicable in other cities. So right now, Access, Stop Demand School, and, and Lovely, Lovely are happening in Waco. Okay. But our goal our is goal. that they're happening in Absolutely. all our cities. Yes, in the cities that need them. And so the thing that's great about these programs is that if there's already a demand school somewhere else, we don't have to have a demand school there. We don't. We are not interested in competing no. and reinventing the wheel. And we want to be a collaborative organization that says, do we have any tools that might fit for the services that already exist in your um, community? And so that's why Lovely Access and Stop Demand are there. So maybe one city might have access. Right. And one city might have access and lovely. Yeah. Or they may have all three. That's right. Or they may just have stop demand. That's right. It's almost like they're interdependent. Yeah. And like Colleen right now, you know, just has outreaches. You know, we're not, we haven't expanded there, but those outreaches are really fruitful right now. Those are growing and those are going good. And do you see a time, Emily, where we don't do outreach? I think that it could, it could definitely be a possibility if the women are being reached somehow by other organizations or other agencies or they're being cared for in another way. Because I think one of the things we don't want to lose is proximity to people. Mm. We don't, we cannot lose proximity to those who are impacted by this industry because they are our, our heartbeat. They are who have eyes and ears on the ground. They are the ones who've told us, Hey, everything's moving online. Like clubs are shutting down. We don't even have a team in college station anymore because the club shut down. You know, so so there's a situation where there are no more clubs. There could clearly. be a situation where smaller communities are kind of rallying around. I think in your bigger cities, you're gonna you're gonna have a harder time shutting these you know clubs down if if that's what they wanted. But in smaller communities, you know, the clubs are starting to shut down. Whether there's prostitution rings running through there, whether they're being flagged for human trafficking or tax evasion. Um, so I just think. If that starts happening, there clearly you're not going to need outreaches. Yeah, um, well, we, you know, when we started, we had three here in Waco, and now we only have one. That's right. Yeah, and so these other programs have have been birthed at really quite a remarkable time because it was like, wow, look what happened. The club shut down, and thank God we had access and yeah. lovely because that's that's exactly what women were saying they needed at the time. Um, so yeah, it's just been an incredible journey. It, that's where we're at today. I'm sure there's lots more. Way, ways that we're going to grow and morph and change and pivot. And we're willing to do that um, if, if that's where we're led. So um, if you've got questions for us that you want to know about our ministry, we want to just invite you to email Brett and I, B-R-E-T-T at JesusSaidLove.com. Or you can email me, Emily, at JesusSaidLove.com. And of course, always let us know your thoughts on social media. Follow Jesus Said Love on Instagram and Facebook. And um, I, my, if you want to follow me personally, I'm Love Waco. And you are? B.A. Mills. So I'm Love Waco on Instagram. Brett is B.A. Mills. We would love to engage and interact with you there and get to know you more and to know your questions about the work that JSL is doing. Make sure and visit our website, too, at JesusSaidLove.com. And... Make sure and give some feedback on this podcast. That's right. We want to hear from you. Like it. Give it all the stars you're allowed to give it. That's right. And then add some more stars in your little description. Tell your friends. Write a review. We'll be on to talk next time about um, access, lovely, stop demand a little deeper, and some of the stories that have radically changed our lives. I've enjoyed talking to you today, Emily. I love you, Brett. See you soon. Okay. Bye.